0: and welcome to the Resolution Project's Young Leaders Now podcast. We're very excited to be joined today by Sahadev Yangmali Rai. Yang is the founder and president of the Yang Ward Foundation. He completed his schooling from the National School of Nepal and then went on to the United World College of India to finish his IB diploma. Yang completed his undergraduate degrees from Westminster College, graduating in 2014 with honors in International Relations and Diplomacy, International Business and Transnational Studies. He then went on to earn a master's degree in international relations from the London School of Economics. Yang now runs the Yang Ward Foundation. We're very excited to have him here today to
1: speak to us. Thank you, Jared, for having me here. And I'm excited to be a part of this podcast session as well.
0: Um, So let's get started by learning a little bit about your background. Um, just take us through, uh, you were born in Nepal, and you attended the National School of Nepal. Tell us a little bit about your uh, upbringing
1: there. So basically, um I attended National School of Nepal at the age of eight. So during that time, uh, Nepal was undergoing the civil war area. So I grew up uh, in such a, you know, critical uh, time of the, you know, the country where thousands of being, or uh, people were, you know, being killed every day, you know, in that insurgency. So yeah, that was quite an experience, I would say.
0: Uh, And while you were growing up in Nepal, that was when you first uh, started uh, a small library, correct? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So as a uh, a student at the National School of Nepal, we were required to do some kind of a community service. So that's when, as a part of my community service, I wanted to start a small library in the eastern part of Nepal, and that's when I, you know, uh, to fulfill that requirement and as well as something that I was passionate about helping the community, that's when I I, you know, decided to start a small library in the eastern part of Nepal. So uh, in that eastern part of Nepal, at that time, they didn't even have a road transportation. The only way to get there was an airplane. And airplane also depended on the season. So uh, airplane couldn't land in the rainy season. So it totally was a seasonal air, uh, you know, airport. Being that far from the capital city, uh, there are there were hardly any organization working in any sector. So I wanted to start at least a small Library so that a student would have access to inner you know, learning materials, and but at the time when I wanted to start a library, Nepal was undergoing this uh, civil war you know, insurgency, and my parents were very, uh, you know, against the idea of going to this uh, area that's been hugely, you know, uh, impacted by the war. So at that age, I decided to go there, you know, carrying a 150 books. To start a library in the primary school in the eastern part of Nepal.
0: So after you uh, grew up in Nepal, you then moved to India for school um, at the United World College. Uh, did you continue the library here, or did you start working on uh, some other projects?
1: So basically, the idea of uh, you know starting a library led to the you know uh, starting of another venture. That's where the uh, the Young World Foundation came in, which I'll be talking about later on. So this uh, starting a library was a one-time thing. I, uh, you know, I never thought I would be continuing other library. I just wanted to see, you know, go th- that part of the country and start a library. But at that time, uh, when I went to implement this library in that uh, eastern part of Nepal, that's where I saw single women being ostracized by the society outcasted by their family members uh, so that's when i decided i want to help the single women you know uh, with some kind of projects, and that led to the you know the birth of the idea of empowering single women. So when I uh, came back to uh, Kathmandu, my boarding school, after implementing the library project, I shared this idea with my parents. Being a student, I didn't have enough resources to you know help these single women. So when I went to India. Um, for my high school, the idea of helping single women was somewhere back in my head. You know, I didn't give up the idea, but uh, being in the uh, international uh, high school, I was quite occupied my you know, studies, and also being a student, I didn't have enough resources to actually implement the project. So I didn't do uh, you know anything to kind of turn my ideas of helping single women into uh, action, but it's still somewhere back in my head that I still had the vision and the plan. What was India like? It was uh, uh, interesting, I would say, you know, uh, I went to uh, international high schools, which was much more, uh, you know, accepting I would say much more diverse uh, uh, f- moving on uh, from National School of Nepal to international school that was quite a transition we had uh, students from 86 different countries that is the first time where I saw you know students from Pakistan and India you know Palestine and Israel they coming together discussing about most pressing issues you know they didn't agree on every you know uh, issues that we were discussing but at least we had you know they could sit down on the same table and discuss the most pressing issues like like border war. You know, so that was a quite an eye uh, opening experience, you know, uh, and also I learned the lesson that, you know, we can have a different opinion, but we can still have a debate and be respectful each, to each other. Yeah.
0: Uh, and so after you finished school uh, in India, the, you then made the move over to the US to, to attend college there. Um, and that was really when you started to to launch the Yang Ward Foundation,
1: correct? Y- y- yes. Uh, so uh, as soon as I uh, came to the United States uh, for my undergraduate program at Westminster College in Missouri, that's when I got to learn about the amazing, you know, grant opportunities You know, you, I could uh, apply to. And I applied to many grant opportunities, you know, uh, uh, but I was turned down in the final uh, round of selection process because they thought, my my idea of empowering single women in this rural area of nepal was over ambitious uh, and i was not being practical somebody who went to national school of nepal and went to this uh, 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 high school in india and now the private uh, liberal arts college they thought i was being you know unrealistic so but when uh, even when I was turned down many times at the final final round of uh, selection, I did not give up on hope because I knew it one day I'm gonna you know I'll find the organization I'll I'll find the group of people who would believe in my ideas you know so uh, so when I was going through that kind of rejection one after another you know that's when I got to learn about the uh, Clinton Global Initiative coming into washington university in missouri which was about two hours away from where i was attending the college anyway and that's when i came to know about the resolution project so when i went to that conference that that is when it changed everything
0: what year was this
1: it was in 2013 Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and so you ended up uh attending CGIU, and you pitched your idea at the Social Venture Challenge there. How was that? Was that a little bit nerve-wracking? Or?
1: Uh, it was nerve-wracking because, uh, you know, uh, as a part of the requirement, we were supposed to be in the group, and I was, op- uh, you know, I applied individual. At the time, their maximum funding was mentioned about 5,000, but I was asking for 10,000. Mm. So I was going against the odd, and I was going against the requirements from the very early on the <laughs> process. And also, when I went through the... the uh, interview session, you know, we were told I would be getting an email by the evening, but I just didn't get the email until, you know, late night and I realized, okay, I think I didn't make it, you know, I kept sending, but there comes an email from Resolution Project that I made it the final round and that's when, you know, I just couldn't believe it, you know. And uh, George uh, was one of the judges, you know, the co-founders mm-hmm. of Resistance Project. He had uh, some interesting questions, uh, you know. And but when he asked me questions from different angles, that's when I realized he believes in my ideas, you know. He believes in my project. But you know, until and unless I have a finally, you know, the notice, formal notice from the, them, you know, uh, there was no way I could be confident about being selected. But when I got the email and when I presented my uh, I, my venture in the you know to the panel of judges from the Resolution Project, I realized they, they are somebody who believes in my vision, mm. and, and that sends everything. How
0: important uh, do you think it is to have that first person to to really believe in your idea?
1: I mean, it means everything to me. You know, uh, I was. At the point where, you know, rejection after rejection and that somewhere, you know, I was committed to my ideas, but I, I was start thinking about, wondering about like, am I being really, you know, uh, uh, ambitious or is it really unrealistic goal? But when resolution people, you know, that came in, it was not just about the money. You know, the biggest thing that I have gained from the resolution project is money, but more than that, the mentorship that came with, you know, from the onboarding process, from the uh, finance planning, from the, you know, connecting with the right people and resources, that that were much more valuable to me. And that basically, you know, anybody can give you money. You know, but the, the, the resources, the connection, the mentorship that resolution project is like a second to none. You know, there's uh, I haven't, uh, c- uh, you know, run into an organization that offers that kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, mentoring program and the finance and all kind of, uh, you know, that were valuable to me as an international student, as somebody who is new to the uh, system. So that was a really, really like game-changing, you know, thing that happened to me.
0: Mm. One interesting little tidbit is that I believe the venture that you initially pitched had the longest name that we'd ever seen at Resolution. Do you remember what that name
1: uh, was? Oh, God. <laughs> I think that was like, you know, helping a, a single woman in the world, most affected area in the eastern part of Nepal. Like, I had a name, so I had to actually, you know, come up with a different name, right? Uh-huh. So um, I, I want to point out the very interesting thing, you know, that happened in during the venture. Everybody were, were having their, you know... Um, projectors you know digital presentation but i was myself in a small like cardboard my presentation and that was like when i went there that kind of like threw me totally because everybody with the advanced you know presentation equipment i was with just with the in a small uh, uh, you know uh, uh, cardboard so yeah that was a very interesting but um, also uh, during the interview you know the presentation when they asked me question they started you know i started thinking about the thing that I have never, you know, thought about it. So, so not only that process helped me to secure the funding, uh, but also it helped me to come up with a solution for the thing that I have never thought of.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the Yang Ward Foundation. So after you received that um, initial funding, uh, you then went on to use it to launch the the project. Um, where, where is it at today? How, how, how far have you grown it out since 2013?
1: So 2013, you know, we started at that point when I was uh, applying for the Social Venture Challenge, I never thought I would be doing this for the long term. Uh, I never thought I would be expanding, to be honest with you. you know, I wanted to run this pilot project and I wanted to help these single women in the rural Nepal. Uh, and I thought this project going to take at least one and a half years to become a more sustainable but to our surprise the project started becoming sustainable in in less than six months so that project became such a model project for every organization because the project we were doing was uh, we did something different in a sense many organizations they go there with a pre-plant you know we got we have a money we want to help you in this way but for us our project was where we made project beneficiary as a part of the decision making process so because our project was such a role model you know it became a model project for everyone we started getting a lot of coverage from uh, newspaper from you know the media and the cele- uh, local celebrities so we started getting a lot of uh, call for help from the different part of the country and that's when we realized we cannot do you know uh, all this kind of a work if we don't have a, you know some sorts of source of revenue or some sorts of you know funding uh, you know model so that's when we started the young world Foundation in 2013 so now we have 20 different projects uh, running in Nepal and Zambia and we have three more uh, projects coming up and tell
0: us a little bit about those projects
1: so we do our project depending on the the project beneficiary interest and geographical location and the market feasibility
0: so you're al- but you're always helping uh, women single women single women, single women. Yeah. so
1: when we go there we do a study you know we talk to the first thing we do is our project beneficiary hey we want to help you and how can I help you you know what kind of skills do you have or what kind of you know help do we need so right now we have a project you know ranging from gas crop to tailoring retail shop goat farming project so we do depending on the, you know what kind of skills and what kind of a desired interest this project beneficiary you know have and the reason what we uh, do that way is because when you make them a part of decision making in, uh, in a part of the decision making process and also when you respect their interest there is a much more in you know, a commitment from their side and from our part so that's why our projects been able to you know achieve what we have achieved today
0: mm. and this is especially important because you're based in the u.s now yes. right and yeah. so you're traveling to nepal, nepal. Uh, setting up these projects, projects. And then they are running them yeah. themselves.
1: And also, the one thing I want to point out is our work is totally based on volunteering. Mm-hmm. So, even when I'm not, uh, you know, in Nepal, like we just implemented two projects last month. So, you know, we have a volunteer, so it's all best volunteer base. And also it's when you make project beneficiary as a part of decision making process, they feel some sense of belonging and that they also feel like we really care about them. That's how, you know, even though our, I would say the geographical uh, distance has not become, been a part of the problem for our project. Mm. Yeah.
0: Tell us a little bit about some success stories of of some of the women that you're working with.
1: So last year, um, uh, two years back, we implemented goat farming projects in the northern part of Nepal. And it was a big festival time uh, for Nepal. It's like a Christmas for Nepal. It's called Dasai. So I got a phone call from this woman, uh, uh, a mother of three, and she started crying and I was freaked out because something must happen to her, you know, the wrong thing, you know, bad things happened to her. And I, I asked her, you know, what happened to and she, st- she goes, I made 40,000 rupees, which is about four hundred dollars from the, uh, the sale of the baby goats. And those uh, we implemented, we gave her six ba- uh, baby goats to her, and she managed to take care of, and she managed to you know sell baby goats for the you know worth of four hundred dollars, forty thousand rupees. That's a lot of money for you know Nepal, and she said she has never had you know that kind of money in her life, you know, to celebrate the biggest festival of Nepal, and she said. I have every, you know, money to buy a new clothes for my kids and I have the things, you know, money to buy everything I needed for this festival. So that kind of thing. And another thing was there was a woman, we helped with the um, cash crop production. She reached out to me and said, when I was a single mother, when I didn't have a money, when I went to talk to some other people to borrow 50 rupees, which is 5 cents, everybody turned down to me. But after, you know, being a part of this project I'm making enough money to send my kids to the you know, school. And also paying off the debt that I have. So these kind of stories, you know, we have so many stories, success stories, you know. That is what, you know, keeps us, you know, inspiring and gives us energy to work, you know, even harder and raise funds and implement more projects.
0: Mm. And now you've currently helped 66 women. Yes.
1: Those are the direct benefits. Those are the women who are a part of our project. But imagine one woman have, you know, three to five kids. Mm. And also, um, uh, you know, there is a library that we, st- you know, started, you know. So it's like the direct beneficiary might be 66, but like the um, number of uh, people that we are Im- making impact is like uh, more than thousands.
0: Mm. Yeah. So what are your plans for the future for the Young World Foundation?
1: So this is where the, the question is, uh, you know, I'm debating, you know, um, I want to uh, I'm uh, wrestling with the scalability, you know. I run uh, two different other companies, you know, and our foundation is based on, you know, running based on uh, uh, one of our biggest donors. Uh, it's uh, my friend who went to same college with me, but he's a lot senior and it's coming out of our pocket. So if I wanna, you know, work full-time for my foundation that means like i have to pay for my way too right so i my i'm wrestling with the idea if i want to make impact in a larger level you know i have to work full-time to my foundation so i'm talking with my uh, vice president uh, dr edward brand and we are discussing about how can we scale our, our in you know, work and in the other parts of the countries as well. But for now, I will continue working, you know, the way we, I work with my foundation. But uh, in the future, we might, you know, hire a full-time fundraisers so that we will have enough research to, you know, implement more projects in different countries as well.
0: So that's pretty amazing that you're running this foundation as well as two other companies as well. Um, tell us a little bit about um, those companies and just about how you kind of, plan your day and are able to, you know, squeeze out enough time for each, each so organization?
1: So basically, uh, um, uh, I work as a, a Vice President and Chief Operating Officer for Ideaworks, that's a software company. We do a lot of artificial intelligence, uh, text analysis that was started by Dr. Edward Brent 39 years ago. So, And I work with the Path Education, that's where we help international students with their college application process. So, bec- right now I mostly work with the students from Nepal so we have about 11 hours different so uh, I wake up around 330 so by the four by four o'clock I'm already to start my day so that is you know the right time for Nepali students to communicate with me uh, so I'm busy you know dealing with the students uh, you know for my path company path education uh, until 11 o'clock and 11 o'clock for me is about 10 o'clock so by the that time is Nepali students are already in a bit so mm-hmm. after 11 i start working for uh, the idea works uh, in a company mm. yeah that's a long day it's <laughs> a long day yeah but it's you know every day i get to talk to interesting yeah. students and you know, help them so when i reach out to people when i even like when i help one student that kind of uh, inspire me and that's something you know i take pride on and uh, you know that gives me a happiness i would say
0: yeah, mm. yeah. so you do find that there's some overlap between uh, the different jobs yes yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I always like to ask this question uh, while we're kind of wrapping up the conversation. Um, but as a young leader yourself, uh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on why it is important for young people to focus on social impact in their careers.
1: Yeah, I think like, uh, that's a very interesting and you know, I'm glad you asked too. I think uh, in the young people should focus on the social impact. Uh, you know, I want to bring an example of the coal industry. Right, coal industry created a lot of jobs, you know, for people. But you know, now we are living to the consequences of global warming, right? So we are the generation. Like our each and every action, you know, right now we are taking will have a consequences in in our lifetime. So if we don't, you know, focus on the uh, social good, uh, social impact right now, you know, it's gonna have a s- s- severe impact in our future as well. Look at the social security of, like, for um, American people, let's say, right? So. The young people are going to be long enough to, you know, uh, live through the consequences, you know, their action will be creating it. So I think being a young people, I think our uh, every action will have a consequence and not only yourself, but to the rest of the world. And I think that's why I think young people should, you know, focus on the social impact. Mm great
0: i think that's a, a great way to wrap up the conversation so thank you so much for uh, for joining us today and um best of luck with the foundation moving forward
1: thank you jared for having me and it's always good talking to you thank you <laughs>